0: nothing better than getting to work as an actor it's it is the best experience that i've had in my life
1: welcome and thank you for listening to almost almost famous the podcast where actors writers comedians talk about the ups and downs ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous I'm your host Daniel Ackerman. Today's guest is a dear friend who's been on two Broke Girls, For All Mankind, American Housewife, and more. Thanks for being on the show, Brian McGrath.
0: Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really, uh, really appreciate it.
1: Do you have a personal definition for
0: success? I think for me, it would be, it would be having so much creative work that I don't have time to do other th- things. It's more about my time than it is about like a financial bar or a even a fame bar, you know, because I, I feel like you can get you can get one national commercial that ends up being something that's kind of everybody sees all the time and then you're, you know, you're the Sonic guy or you you know, you fall into that. So I think my my goal always has to do with my availability otherwise. So if I was so busy that I was going from project to project and having to turn down projects that's a high level uh, on the bar for me.
1: So it's not so much getting rich and famous could be a good thing, but it also could be.
0: Yeah, it, and, and it may go congruently with, with what I consider success uh, to be. Or, you know, and if in the meantime, I got, you know, one of, one of those, it would be a bar towards that. But I think, I think really the just the consistency. In- it's
1: the allocation of time. Yes. and time
0: spent yeah yeah exactly yeah
1: when in your life did you decide or know
0: that acting was a path for you it was a big kind of fight for a while in in my in my family's household it was my dad wanted me to go major in math or engineering or something just something that was like yeah you'll be able to get a great job with that you know make some consistent money but I wanted to do theater going into college and I kind of bounced around and didn't really do that for a while. Didn't commit to it. It was kind of one foot in one foot out and, oh yeah, I'm going to find a different major as well. I'm going to, I'm going to dual major and then, well, I'll, I'll I'll pick a minor that has nothing to do with it. And then eventually it was clear that I was not going to do any of those things. And, that I was just kind of fam- firmly subplanting myself into the theater world. So that was kind of the first like path towards it. And then uh, and then I, you know, I started getting paid to, to not just do, you know, independent theater, but I actually got hired by people who had money and they gave me m- money that so- felt like m- millions at the time. You know, it was dozens, I think and that was like oh okay i'm going to do this at in some form as a career
1: but growing up it sounds like not in your house it wasn't like there were actors in your family or
0: no yeah we didn't my my dad was like an industrial computer salesman and like worked in like high end computer sales my mom worked for tucson parks and recreation and kind of like an admin role and did stuff with the parks and 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 all that stuff but more on the administration and budgetary side um both both my parents my mom more uh enjoyed theater and and film and and that so it was always prevalent in the sense of Consuming it, but it, you know, my, I think my dad sang a couple karaoke songs, but he he would not consider himself a performer. He has a little bit of the the gift of gab for sure uh, and storytelling. Neither one of my parents did theater in high school or or that uh, just more enjoyed it. So I'm not sure. It might even be when I was very little, I was going to camp at like Tucson Parks and Recreation. They had this summer program that bled off of like kind of their after school program called Kidco. And one of my early counselors put together a dance routine. And I was this like little like stereotypical villain with like a maniacal mustache. And I was younger than everyone. And, you know, we won first prize for, you know, creative trying or whatever it was, you know, something that, (laughs) that wasn't very big. And that, that sparked me for a while, but I was big in the sport sports and so I didn't really come back to it until high school but you knew going into college you wanted to do theaters yeah by yeah so by college I was I was kind of hooked my freshman year of high school I tried out for the play and I didn't realize that if you didn't get stuff you know going it was like an eight-person cast I didn't understand at first that you it was because I was 14 and there were seniors that needed parts and You know, there is a little bit of hierarchy in high school uh, drama, kind of went away from it and then got convinced to audition again in junior year. And then from junior year on, it slowly became, okay, I was in the play and then I was, oh, I'm going to take the intro to drama class. And then I'm going to kind of, it kind of spiraled where I was doing advanced drama and both the play and the musical and the, I had a friend of mine who is a playwright now and a, and a professor named Ann Heinz, who when we were seniors, she was a year, or I was senior, she was a year older than me, got me introduced into a, a theater company. So right going kind of into college, uh, she had inter- introduced me to this group and I ended up working with them for years. And yeah, kind of that sparked non-school based mm it kind of felt like a natural progression yeah and it was you know it was you know people that were just a little bit older than me but it felt like they'd been doing theater for so many years more than me and I was new and kind of bright-eyed about it and really was just excited to be involved and they were doing you know we did sound the music at, at my high school they were doing theater that they had written and it was different and kind of kind of grew my to it a little bit, and that was kind of early college.
1: It sounds like this theater company kind of opened your eyes to the possibility of theater, that it wasn't just plays and musicals you did in high school, but a whole array of performance styles.
0: Yeah, it, it, it definitely got more avant-garde. I mean, we did, and then like, as we were kind of getting into it, you know, at first we were doing stuff that was was written from my, by my friend, who's a, a playwright up in San Francisco named Stuart Pocell. And it was his theater company and he was maybe a couple years older than me and had been to college and, and was writing stuff like Attack of the Vampire Sorority Babes and the Intergalactic Frat Dudes. And those were, you know, a, a musical, but it was, or a ballet, I think it was called. And, you know, it was, there was a mixture of performance art to it and uh, brevity to it that was, it was silly and fun. And then we also with that group did Faust, you know, it was a three hour plus production of Faust and I'm playing a tree with a, with a, a you know, see-through lace bandana. And we're, we're walking in formations to make it look like uh, people are moving through hedges. So we did, we did very extremes uh, stuff and very, got, got very intellectual with, with the theater we were doing. And then we got to do stuff that was zany and fun and, natural in its in, in speech so it was it was a cool cool time
1: and perfect time as as you're going into college to kind of have this company we can do this thing while you're also taking classes majoring in theater and learning about it were there any like college courses that really stand out as being formative
0: yeah so i ended i did the van wilder approach to college and i was there for the better part of a decade for both high notes and like, what are you doing? Why are you still in college uh, type of uh, notes? Uh, I stumbled into uh, stage combat in a class and my mentor became a professor by the name of Brent Gibbs getting to do the fake fighting and the fight choreography. That's where I thought I was gonna go with and go to New York and I was going to be an actor, but I was going to become a fight director and that was that was the path that I kind of really submerged myself in until almost the end of college. What was it about fight choreography that you were like, oh, I love this. I loved that you could make you could surprise people. you could make you could make something that was almost like a dance. It was like a violent dance. I happened to have a little bit of skill in it. I thought it was, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was, but I loved all of it. I loved getting uh, nerdy about the different weapons they would have used. I, once I got into the choreography aspect, I, I loved the aspect of how can I make this, the story or the vision of this show have these expressions of violence throughout it and what different styles can we use and what, different parameters and limitations can we go through and how can we succeed with it so truly the nerding out it was yeah i was i was in so it didn't even seem like nerding out to me but we would walk around campus with like our rapiers tucked in our backpack and we always had a bandana because we were going to be you know sweating when we were going to go out in like the quad and practice fights it was just on the side of it was like educational larping i think it was Kind of flirted with, with like, are these people insane? Uh, but we were in our own little world with it oh, no. too. Because of my Van Wilderness, I got to TA the class for multiple years, and that kind of it introduced me to professional theater on a different aspect. Because I had already started doing professional theater where I was acting in it, but then I had this other skill set, so I started becoming Brent's men, uh, assistant in paid gigs. And then I started getting my own choreography gigs. And so I was building a resume in that avenue of acting and, and theater.
1: And I got to say that's a a very niche thing to know even as an actor. So did you find that when you were doing other performances, whether, you know, on TV, on set or on stage, whereby having the fight choreography background, maybe you
0: weren't doing fight scenes, but you kind of maybe had a better understanding of stage picture, of movement. A lot of it translates. And and I think where it translated a lot for me was in commercial work and like how mm-hmm. to have specificity in your reactions. In stage combat, it's it's really, you're, you're, you're telling the story through those pictures, like you're saying of, Okay, here's a big here's a big windup. I'm gonna punch you, and then I'm gonna it's gonna crush the plane of your face. And now there's a noise reaction, and together that all makes it clear whether it was with physicality or or just being specific in how I was going to react to something. It it came through in my I think my first commercial stuff. You know, once I figured out what was going on on camera.
1: Now, do you feel like your fight choreography skills? It's like riding a bike. Like you could go out and choreograph a fight scene for a stage play today, or is it, you yeah, it little...
0: I, I, it it would it, I'd have to shake off a little bit of rust. Uh, and it and it always depended when, it, uh, when doing the fight choreography, it always depended on what the limitations of the actors of the cast were. Uh, some casts are you know sometimes you you cast a Hamlet, who's a great fighter, and sometimes they're just great with the dialogue, and they kind of can fight.
1: Now you went to college in Arizona. I did. Came out to Los Angeles. Uh, what brought you out to Los Angeles? Was it just jobs? Was it
0: just uh, fight choreography, or did you come out more to pursue? I always thought I was going to go to New York or to Chicago in co- college, kind of dual things, where the fight choreography and and improv. And I I legitimately just got a burr in my butt that I wasn't going to go live in the cold because I'm a baby for the cold. And so I had had a friend who had moved out to L.A. before me. And I was like, great, I'm going to move in December. And I... Yeah, and I moved and I was—I still kept my restaurant job back in Arizona and we were going back and forth for to DJ proms on, on the weekends like that for first year, I guess, the proms we probably did for a couple years. We were like, so it was like, I kind of moved to Los Angeles and I lived in Los Angeles, but then, oh, I needed money. So I'd go back to Arizona for money because it's impossible to, <laughs> to find money, I guess, in Los Angeles. I don't know. It was more money to do the DJ shows than my restaurant jobs. So it was kind of back and forth, but I think, I think it was weather. And then I think it was wanting to explore television, not having like a real, real specific line of it. I I knew the groundlings was out here. Uh, My friend, Jason Moore, who had been in uh, my college improv group and, and I had kind of already explored Chicago, going that to improv shows for Chicago Improv Festival and the College Comedy Championships there. I, I decided, okay, I'll have an avenue of, of TV. I thought I was better for TV, and I was better for film and commercials and improv comedy. So instead of going, I can't sing as well, I'm not going to go Broadway where all my musical theater friends were going. I'm going to go to Los Angeles where the weather's nice and it's still kind of close to Arizona. So in a way it was kind of a safe move. It was like not as far, but it was still, I'm not going back to Arizona. It was a little bit of both.
1: And when you got to Los Angeles, what was your route? Did you feel like you were like, I'm just going to focus on improv? Did you start doing more Uh, live theater
0: when I got here my first focus was how do I afford Los Angeles so I I kind of spent I know a lot of a lot of people come with like oh I've saved up all this money I think I had like two weeks of money saved I didn't really have much I transferred with a restaurant that I had been working out in Arizona but the closest location was Long Beach so I was living up in like Sun Valley so like North North Hollywood and I was commuting to go work like lunch shifts down to Long Beach because I was the new guy. And it was just like, all right, I made, I made, you know, 70 bucks this day, 40 bucks this day. And I was kind of adding it up. And, you know, I was living in a hellacious apartment with cheap rent, but it was cheap enough that I could pay for it. And then we were probably, you know, going out and experiencing LA too much. And it wasn't until I found, I kind of decided, okay, I can be doing this anywhere. I need to be, I kind of know the city a little bit now. I can drive around and not get lost. And uh, once I kind of had that, then I then I jumped in the ground. Links.
1: Gotcha. So you came out here, first thing was, can I survive out here? Can I just yeah make enough? And then it became, well, I could be working a restaurant job, living in an apartment anywhere in the United States. I'm here for the reason. And that's when you started to go into improv at the Groundlings.
0: yeah and I I you know I think I auditioned you know say I auditioned on a Monday we got our, our results that we could take basic on a on a Wednesday and I was in a class the next Tuesday it was like as as fast as I could whatever the options were it was cool that fits with my schedule that fits with my schedule and I'm gonna be in that next class so I was right in and then I was, I and, and then that, that was my home for years. And it, it really, it really was my base. It was, it's still the base of like the best creatives and the most, like the people I consider like my creative peers and best friends from Los Angeles. Almost, almost all came from there. At least, at least kind of the, fir- the first wave of, of my LA family.
1: And from that place and, you know, just Improving and getting even better at your improv skills. When did you find, I guess, success through it, or were there when were moments when you're like, okay, this is, this is the right rung for me?
0: Yeah. Uh, so my basic teacher was one of the kind of the first ones to champion me. This was e- even before I had a commercial agent. She would be like, you should go for this. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up for you. Go for this one, lun- you know. And it was a, a Lunchables audition. And it was a non-union $1,000 $1500 not uh, lunchable thing. And at the time that sounded like, well, $1,000 dollars is a million dollars. So it was so much it was so much money. And I remember getting a callback. and I didn't even really kind of quite realize what that meant. And I was like, I got a call back. It was one of those weird auditions where they put everyone on a veil that was going to the callback. So I didn't even really know what was going, kind of going on. And I showed up at the callback and it was, you were playing this like scientist that it it was like a two minutes worth of improv slash dialogue folded in and different movements. It was a long audition. And I got to the callback and it was every single kind of gender and racial and age like category was represented. So I was like the, young nerdy white guy looking and then there was a 50 year old redheaded lady that looked like a mom and it was and we're all, all going for scientist and I just looked around and it was like okay take your take your pick you know you can have you can have whatever you want in your commercial it can be every every single ethnicity every single age was represented but I had gotten that call back and I was like okay I can do this I'm I'm the version if they want the version that's me, great. That's all I got to do is do do the version you know that I do.
1: Yeah, I always find in callback situations when they are like that, when it's a bit more, oh, they haven't quite narrowed down what they want. There's a little more ease because you're like, if I'm what they want, then great. If not, I mean, yeah, it's the commercials, yeah. especially when you walk in the room and everyone kind of all looks alike. Right. But you're like, all right, right. They're fine tuning it.
0: Yeah. And, and I wasn't what they wanted. I don't even know if they ever did the commercial, but uh, that was kind of my first confidence, like going out for that audition and then and, and getting the call back and getting good feedback. And right away, during kind of that time, I got my first commercial agent through doing an improv show. And one of our friends, uh, Selena Gre- Greenman at the time of Warren, Selena Warren was a guest in our improv show and she brought her commercial agent. And that became my first agent. So then I was getting repped to go out. And that made, you know, between the confidence of, of all of that, it was kind of got the ball rolling of me actually doing stuff.
1: Nice. Now with uh, the process of auditioning, as you know, especially commercials, typically you might go out a few times or might be a little less. How do you personally kind of handle the natural ups and downs of Going to auditions, maybe getting callbacks, maybe getting close, those moments when you do book something, those long stretches where you might not book something. What's what's a personal, or how do you personally handle all that?
0: I think it's tough. I think it's, I, I you know, and I, I think it's, there's moments of just like frustration, you know, and then you end up venting or getting analytical and checking with all my friends <laughs> like, hey, are you auditioning? Or, you know, is it is it really slow for you as well? but then also just kind of always trying to be proactive with how can I help fix this? Do I, is this something that, that I can aid my reps in? Do they need new headshots? So I like to be very, very open and honest with, with my reps. And I want to, f- I want to feel like they, they can do the same, you know, in, in, in terms of like the, the normal actor spiral, I, I go through all, all of that, you know, I, I it, you're constantly weighing yourself against your peers and against like what you think your worth is. And then just celebrating when you have your successes, no matter how big or how small, I think it's, I think it's important to place the value in, in the, when you booked something or when you were on a veil, even if you didn't get it, or I was pinned for this. And lately, I think I've, I've kind of balanced that with trying to, be open to doing other projects as well that aren't just my, what my reps are getting me. If, if it's someone's short film or if it's, oh, well, let me try and write something. Or, uh, you know, in this in, in this time with, uh, you know, there's o- the open call challenges, letting myself kind of express my creativity in something that maybe I wouldn't necessarily do. And I find that that kind of helps balance the failures or the long, long pauses of of, of work at times, and and class. I really, I always really jumped into class and had sanctuaries there.
1: Now, do you have times when you have felt like you've, I guess, quote unquote, made
0: it? I think sometimes you book some stuff back to back and you're like, this is gonna be the start of, I'm never gonna stop working. I don't know how it's gonna be, like, this is great. I just don't know if I should tell my survival job, you know, that I can't come in for the next three months or should I just give them my notice or, you know, and it's, and it's little, it's little spurts. And at least for me, it's always been, it's always been good that I've, especially going by my barometer of time that I've navigated that and not fully given up on the, all the other things I'm working on and financials of of, of maybe having a, my i've always worked at a restaurant i've always enjoyed working at a restaurant i've always said that it's as much for my time as it is for my money i think i would go stir crazy waiting around in those lulls if i didn't have some other place to focus work that wasn't necessarily doesn't necessarily need to be acting so
1: And where do you think that comes from? Because I know some people are comfortable, like, I would rather be waiting in those lulls than doing something that isn't that. But why do you think you have the temperament to be like, you know what, waiting would not be good for me. I need
0: to be putting time and energy to other things as well. Maybe it is just like the general work ethic or desire to be working. There's nothing nothing better than getting to work as an actor. It's it is the best experience that I've had in my life as far as employment goes. and I've been really fortunate to have not many horror stories at all. It, you know I love working in general. You know some people have like retirement goals. I'm like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to stop working. You know maybe I'll get to be 70 and I'll be like, I wish I never had to work again. But right now I'm like, I'll just work till I die.
1: Now, do you have a particular moment when you're like on set, whether it's for a commercial or show or anything like that, that everything kind of felt like they were lining up? Like you were just crushing it. You were like, oh man, this is this is the sweet
0: spot. This is what it's all about. I guess the this is it moment that sticks out most mostly to me is not even not even a time where I was actually on set. We were at the table read for the first episode of For All Mankind. And I don't even know if I had been, I knew I'd been cast, but I don't even know if I knew what role I was playing. I think it might've just been like, you're cast as someone who's going to be in NASA. And I was like, okay. And so, but a few of us who had been cast got to read just parts. Like we were doing a, a play reading. The series regulars had just been announced the night before and they had signed their deals and they had come in and there's, you know, it felt like it was like 100 people from uh, Sony and 100 person cats and 100 people from Apple and we're in this giant conference room at the Sony lot and Ron Moore got up and recounted a story from Battlestar Galactica. The, that moment of him being like, we're going to do something special. And, you know, I'm a, I am ai was going to be a co-star coming up and I, and like everybody's eyes are like kind of welled up with tears. And it's like, wow, we're just it was just inspiring and it was it was one of those things where where you'd be like great i'll i'll be i'll be the, the you know the guard who who dies first i'll do anything it was it was like it had this inclusive nature to it of doing something spectacular and being a team and being led from like the top down everyone from casting to the highest execs in that process were a dream you know, the the third prop master down the row was professional and lovely. And like, so the whole experience looking back started with that table read and that had nothing to do with what we were for, you know, I wasn't on set. We, I don't, like I said, I don't even think I knew what, what NASA guy I was gonna play yet?
1: In a way, it feels like those early like theater days where you're with your cast and everyone's like, "We're making something."
0: It totally did, yeah. it, it and it had like this sincere nature to it, yet it was grandiose because it was like so many people and so many. It, it was it was in a way the biggest thing I had ever been a part of, and it was just cool to like kind of see behind the curtain but also kind of still be part of it and even though i knew i wasn't a series regular or 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 anything i didn't even know if i was going to do multiple episodes at the time i knew i was going to be involved in some way but getting to do the the table read and kind of get inspired then was awesome now
1: through your career of getting to work and doing all these things Do you feel like you've gotten some bad advice in your career? Either you took it or you didn't take
0: it, or how do you flag things that don't ring true to you? I think I've also gotten some good advice that I haven't taken, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I should have done that. And then, you know, it's tough because there's not just a, okay, you do this, you go, you know, sign up your name, and then when they call your name, you're a working actor. It's like they just go down a list and they'll check off all these people ahead of you. And then, and then one day you're famous. There's so many different paths to success, and they're all right and they're all wrong it, at times. So I think I've been fortunate not to have anything where I'm like, oh, me doing that really, really cost me something big. I think there's been moments of naivete and not knowing what I was doing was maybe not be the most per- professional or successful route to do it, but it was more because of not having knowledge at times and auditioning for big, big things that I didn't even know was big and was just like, Oh, cool. I'm going, I'm getting a chance to audition for this. That's great. And then, you know, four years later, you realize that you were in the pre-reads for Rick and Morty. And I mean, maybe never had a chance because it ended up being Justin like does both voices. And you're like, oh okay well i i auditioned for that because someone saw me in an improv show huh wish i had known that i could have been like what to do with that but i yeah i I, that might have stressed me out more i had fun with audition
1: yeah there's the benefit of sometimes not knowing how this big the scope yeah. is and other times where knowing that would help would help both
0: yeah and and, and so i have been fortunate to not have too much advice that i've adhered to that has been a detriment when i was in college doing doing the decade as as i sometimes say uh they uh, one of my professors said you should move to los angeles he's like this isn't the spot for you you need to move to los angeles and you should you can take class out there, maybe one of the academies, but you need, you should just go out there as quick as you can. And that, I was so comfy in my doing, you know, local theater and getting paid there and getting to do more stage combat stuff and all that. And I was, no, I can't, I can't leave. I got to keep going. And then I ended up leaving short of my degree anyway by like a class. So it was like, I stuck around for years more and took made up, you know, I did a thematic minor in leadership and like did educational leadership stuff. Kind of, it, it, it was awesome. I loved, I loved the academic world and what that o- of afforded me, but he, he saw what I couldn't see yet. That if I got out here sooner, I would have explored Groundlings sooner and I would have explored, you know, maybe some other acting studios sooner. And I would have I just naturally progressed those years faster
1: gotcha well brian now's now's a portion of the podcast where we bring out the the special guest this oh, is the it. famed insult comic raz clifford he loves to come out and just see who the guest is give them a little raz he likes to drop people down a peg
0: i've seen raz a couple times uh, live in theater and him hosting he's a he's a br- he's brilliant at what he does
1: he'll appreciate it he wish it was probably coming from someone else but he'll still he'll still be happy so let's get let's get raz clifford out here hey raz come on oh hello folks oh who do we got Brian mcgrath wait a sec he's not almost almost famous this guy's famous he's famous for all the weird goat sex he's had google this sicko oh brian brian is the original lovable idiot minus the lovable part Brian looks like the halfway point when a mad scientist drinks a potion and they're transforming into some kind of grotesque monster. Really look this guy up. That is a picture perfect, accurate description. Now I love seeing Brian on television, but I would rather see him in jail, away from society he should not be loose. Oh, I'm so sorry, Brian, but that's the razz you got. All right, I hope this is the last time I
0: ever actually have to see you. Bye. Uh. Thanks, Raz. <laughs> Thanks as always, Raz. He's he's very he's good. He's good. He just he just gets it right, accurate. <laughs> he gets in the jugular, and he just he hits he hits you. It's it's tough because it, like it hits you, and you you have that self like introspection, but you you know he's right, so it's mm-hmm. tough. It's tough to argue. Yeah,
1: when he when he ra- when he Razes me, it, it, you want to be mad, but you go. You got my number. You got my number.
0: You got my number. And it's like, you know, we we all, we all have, you know, strengths and weaknesses. He's very good at pointing out the weaknesses. and
1: That is his strength. Yeah, his
0: strength is doing that. Yeah. <laughs> In our career of acting,
1: it is one of those paths where you got to love it and you really want to have to want to do it because there are so many other careers or options out there. If you weren't acting, what do you think you would be
0: doing? I, I really do enjoy working creatively it's it's my it's my favorite thing I've done and so whether it would be working creatively in an, in an, a non-acting world so like becoming a chef or or something like that I already have that as a hobby and work and have worked in different levels of restaurants so like restaurant ownership I don't know if it would would be something like that I, th- I think I would enjoy casting. I think it's adjacent enough to what I get out of the creative process and acting. And I've always liked helping. So it, it, wh- whether that whether that's helping someone else form their vision through putting the right people together or bringing like my own acting s- skills and thoughts and visions to it, I think it satisfies a similar thing for me.
1: Now, Brian, if you were, and you will one day, I have no doubt, be a guest on a late night talk show, do you have a story from your life that you're like, that's, that's one I would want to tell?
0: I think in a weird way, running the DJ company through college and my early bit of being out in Los Angeles, I think this story of going back and forth from Los Angeles to Tucson, Arizona and Phoenix, Arizona and all over Arizona to dj high school proms to pay my bills in los angeles i really i really think it's it's it kind of encompasses the story of uh of my my travels and acting. let me set you up like it's a late night show or something
1: it's like okay we're, we're here talking with brian mcgrath talented accomplished actor but when you first got to los angeles am i correct that uh you had a DJ company?
0: I did. Yeah, I was a uh, I was a part owner in, in, in a DJ company called Sater Entertainment.
1: Sater Entertainment. So, you, did you do a lot of Passover stuff or was that yeah. just the
0: name? Yeah, uh S S A T Y R, but uh, gotcha. Uh, an occasional an, an occasional uh, Bar Mitzvah by a Catholic uh, DJ, but yes. So, you weren't doing big clubs out in Los Angeles though, right? You were No, we were uh, we kind of f- fashioned a niche in, back in Arizona and we were uh, high end high school prom DJs.
1: Hard to come by.
0: Okay. Hard to come by. Very. yeah. So you'd be
1: in Los Angeles, but you'd go back for what around the May, June season for the
0: big proms. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little earlier in Arizona prom season starts end of, end of March, beginning of April and April is madness and goes into the, the top of May. I'd be out in Los Angeles during the week and then I would, drive Friday to Arizona and sometimes we would do a Friday prom that night and then we would tear it down and then we'd get up Saturday and do a prom on Saturday and then come back on Sunday for all the schools except for the high school I went to which is South Point Catholic High School and uh they had their proms on Sunday and gave the kids off Monday because it was cheaper.
1: Did you ever want to do your old high school or were you like you were like no thank you?
0: No I did multiple times it was a it was a big show it was a good money maker because it was the only show on Sunday, so you could do. If you had a Friday night prom, you could do three proms in a weekend. It was a, it was a it was a very long, tiring weekend, but it was uh, it was very profitable.
1: Brian, I want to thank you for coming on, being a guest on Almost Almost Famous. Uh, what are some projects you're working on currently for the listeners to be keep their eyes peeled for?
0: I am in the middle of editing, which I've never done a. A short that I wrote with our friend Gary Soldati.
1: Very nice. Thanks again for being on buddy. It's always good to see you and chat with you. And thanks for everyone who was listening. I'm your host Daniel Acker and this has been Almost Almost Famous.